What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato. And last time we talked about the mindset shift that society went through between 1900 and 1950 in regards to aging. Yes, aging. That dreaded word that we all come to love as we get older um, because the things that we believe about it. And the things that we believe about aging, most of us believe, not all of us, but the things that society tends to believe about aging were brought, about, were brought upon us around the 1940s and 1950s by a shift, a shift in the words that we heard about what it means to be old and who it came from, more importantly. Before that, we heard from people who were old, people who had gone through aging, who, people who were going through aging, people who had experience with it. And those people talked in very positive words about what it meant to age and what it means to overcome challenges. And then, right around 1940, there were a couple of things that had happened. We talked about the, quote, economic burden that society started to uh, view old people as, thanks to Social Security and thanks to, um, in part to, well, we had to kick them out of the way so that young people could have their jobs, basically. Um, also, the literature around being old started to be written by the medical profession, started to be written by people who were not going through old age, but who were studying old age and who were treating people of old age. And because of that shift, we changed our mind. Because... If you go back to the last third of the last episode, there were a couple of passages I read from the, um, from the article I was quoting from, the research article. One of the sentences talked about how physicians looked at treating people of old age and how there are many rewards, quotes, rewards that can come from it and trust me when i tell you that the rewards that they most of them not all of them but the rewards that were referenced in the article were not rewards of compassion and love for being able to treat them there were monetary rewards and when you are driven by monetary rewards you treat people you don't improve them you don't help somebody overcome issues you cover them up enough so that you can continue to make money. And so that shift happened and is still around today. It's very, very, very prevalent and is a big reason why so many of us dread maybe a kind of a strong word, but don't look forward to getting old because we believe it is a certain thing. And yet it's not. So today what I like to talk about is what it means to Train for the Centenarian Decathlon. Um, this idea admittedly comes from a guy named Peter Atia. I say a guy as if he's not 10 times more popular than I am. I know it's just mom and dad listening to this right now. Thanks so much, mom and dad, for supporting the podcast. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, Peter Atia, you should definitely follow if you 
do not follow him. He is a medical doctor, um, very smart dude. He recently wrote a book called Outlive, but he has a podcast called The Drive, which I listened to for many, 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 many years. Um, and so he has this idea of the centenarian decathlon, which basically is, begs the question, what are the 10 things that you want to be able to achieve at 100? When you reach 100 years old, what are the things that you want to be able to rock at 100? Not just barely be able to do, but what are the things that you want to be able to really, really just really be able to attack them? What are the 10 things? Uh, they don't have to be a sport per se. A decathlon is in the, in the Olympics. It's 10 events that Olympians go through, and the one who does the best on average wins the gold medal. Um, there are 10 sporting events. When I say centenarian decathlon, I don't mean 10 sporting events per se, although they could be if you want them to be. Um, it's just 10 things you want to be able to do. So it can be basic things like being able to put dishes up overhead uh, back into your cabinets or being able to squat down and pick up your potentially great, great, great grandchild at that point. Um, or being able to go out and still cut grass, or being able to still do laundry, or being able to uh, still work, for goodness sake. Like, the idea of most people, most people have of working past the age of, like, 70 is like, whoa, why would you want to do that? Well, to keep you alive. Like, Warren Buffett's like 90, maybe probably older than that. Um, and that dude fucks at a super high level. I'm not saying everyone would want to strive to be like Warren Buffett. Um, if you don't know who Warren Buffett is, go figure out. He's top 10 richest human beings on earth. Uh, nonetheless, but like work gives you purpose and purpose gives you a reason to live. And so like maybe you still want to work because you want a reason to live. Not that everyone needs to work to do that. Like I said, you got kids, grandkids, great, great grandkids, whatever at that age. So like what are the 10 things? What are your 10 things? There's something to think about and potentially something to actually write down. You're probably not going to save that same piece of paper for many, many decades, but it's at least something to get on paper so you can start to think about it now. Uh, but what are 10 things that you want to be able to really rock at 100? So once you have 10 things, then you can start to extrapolate out what you need to train in order to be able to do that. Because what most people think health and fitness is and what health and fitness actually is are two very, very different things. Most people think that health and fitness, again, another mindset shift that drastically needs to happen, which again is starting to happen, but we still got a lot of work to do. Most people think that health and fitness is a thing we just have to do for an amount of time. And typically for most people, that's about 12 weeks. And I'm exaggerating that. But like, you know, when it comes to New Year's resolutions, for instance, um, New Year's resolutions was that word, if you didn't catch that, had a little S slur there. Um, the average person quits their New Year's resolution by mid-February. That's six weeks. Uh, so 12 weeks is a stretch, but nonetheless, like, we, when we have worked for 12 weeks, we like to think that we should achieve massive results all of a sudden. But we completely overestimate the results that we can get in 12 weeks, and we completely underestimate the results we can get in 12 years. And that, my friends, is the time frame for which we should be thinking when it comes to our health and fitness. Not just 12 years, but many years beyond that, which is why we're talking about the centenarian 
decathlon and not the whatever age you are decathlon, which is fine too. But we want to be great at 100. And if it's not 100 for you, that's fine. 90, 80, 70, like whatever age you strive to be, like live to, pick that age. But my assumption is that most everybody watching this wants to be as healthy as they can as long as they can. That's called your health span. You don't have to want to live forever or even to 100. But my assumption is even at 80, you want to be a high-functioning human. That's my assumption. Um, I know what assuming does, but I think I'm pretty... I think I'm pretty right on this point. I don't want to say right. It's a little arrogant, but nonetheless, like <laughs> I, think, I think most people want to live well their whole life, as much as they can, as best they can. So nonetheless, um, let me backtrack. So once we have our 10 things, once we have our centenarian decathlon, our 10 events that we want to be able to rock whenever we are 100 years old, then we can start and look to see how we need to train in order for that to happen. Now, of course, everyone's list is going to be different to an extent. Um, there's going to be nuance in everybody's lists, but most of everything that you have written down or have thought about when it comes to the centenarian, your centenarian decathlon can be narrowed down to five basic dimensions of health and fitness. The five basic dimensions that we're getting ready to talk about. Uh, those five dimensions are strength, power, aerobic capacity, mobility, instability strength power aerobic capacity mobility and stability so let's talk about what those things are real quick um, and then we'll talk about how uh, basic ways that which you can start to improve them because i can because i only know myself and i know that there are generalities that can be plugged in for most people um, everyone is different and so to give very specific advices not wise, I'll say. Um, so I can give some general ideas on how you can improve these things moving forward. Uh, strength. Strength is very simply just being able to move an amount of weight. There's no time component. It's just being able to do it. Strength, we lose. Um, let me make a connection here. Sedentary people lose muscle mass. Muscle mass is very important for human health span and lifespan. Sedentary people lose muscle mass past the age of 30 at a rate of 3 to 5% per decade. That's pretty fast. Um, so we want to be able to mitigate that as much as possible. When it comes to strength, we lose strength at 2 to 3 times the rate at which we lose muscle mass. So that's potentially... I'm doing my math correctly. Um, that's potentially 15% per decade past the age of 30, at which we are losing strength. Since strength is very important, it is very highly coordinated with health, health span and lifespan for that matter. Since strength is very important, we want to be able to reduce that as much as possible. We do not want to, uh, we do not want to lose our strength. Like it's that simple. So like I said, strength is being able to move an amount of weight. So that means we have to be moving things in order to do that. That could be our body weight, of course. But that usually also means something external from us. That usually 
also means something external from us. So bodyweight training is great. Bodyweight training will certainly be a way to strengthen your body, whether that's squats or push-ups or whatever, uh, pull-ups, those kinds of things. Actually, many people struggle with most of those basic exercises. Those three I just said, squats, push-ups, and pull-ups, like a lot of people struggle with just those. Most of it is because of stability, which we'll get to in a little bit, but a lot of it is because of strength. Um, so just starting with that kind of uh, program is would be super effective, would be very effective. But um, you also want to work in external load as well, external resistance. It's called resistance training. Uh, external resistance can be any kind of weights, of course, the main ones of which are barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, and that kind of thing. You can use bands, which will reach a limiting point to an extent. Uh, you can use other things as well. Like resistance is resistance to some degree. But nonetheless, strength training regularly is going to be very important for your longevity. It is very important. There are two parts of strength training that are worth thinking about more, though. So it's easy for me to say that you should go lift weights, but I can, I'll be a little more specific, and I'm not being specific about, again, the type of exercises you should be doing, but I'll be specific about where you should put your focus when it comes to strength training. So every exercise has three portions to it, if you will. There's what's called the eccentric portion, that's the range of motion or the motion in which you're stretching a muscle. So if you can visualize a push-up, when you're lowering yourself down for the push-up, you're stretching the chest muscles. That's the eccentric portion of the push-up because it's the stretching portion. There is the static portion in which you are holding a position. So technically you can hold the top and the bottom of a movement. If it's the push-up, you're either holding at the very top with your arms extended or you're holding at the very bottom. You could hold, of course, anywhere in between, of course, as well. So they're static. Um, and then there is concentric. So concentric is the opposite of eccentric. Thinking about the push-up again, if you're at the bottom of the push-up and you're pushing back up off the ground, that's when your chest muscles are shortening and squeezing back together. That is the concentric part of the push-up, and that is the concentric part of any exercise, of any exercise is when you are shortening the muscle, shortening, okay? So eccentric is lengthening the muscle, concentric is shortening the muscle, static is holding the muscle or movement still. So we want to be able to really, whenever we're training for strength, strength all around is important, but we really want to be able to uh, implement things that are strengthening eccentric, lower body or upper body for that matter, um, and static movements. So why is it imp this important? So when you're thinking about eccentric strength, think about going downstairs and being able to control yourself going downstairs. As you step down to the next stair and you bend your knee to then move your back leg forward to the next step, that knee that you're stabilizing on is going through an eccentric phase you're bending the knee or flexing the knee, so and the quad is eccentrically loading, if you will. That loss of strength with that kind of movement is what, not what, but it is a big reason why people have trouble 
going downstairs as they age um, and why people fall downstairs as they age and just why people fall in general as they age because they don't have lots of eccentric strength to catch themselves. Say, if you accidentally step off a curb that you didn't know was there or it's deeper than you thought it was, that is lack of eccentric strength. You step down and you go, whoop, whoop, like all of us have had that feeling when it's like, whoop, bam, like you just land and it's like the shock goes up through your body. <laughs> I'm laughing because I fell down yesterday was we were hiking. It has nothing to do with this. It was just very muddy, but I, it was funny because my hat flew off everywhere and it was all kinds of fun. And of course, Bob's behind me and Bob's like, oh, that's awesome. I'm so happy. It's like our last lap. And he's like celebrating that I fell down. Only because he had he had already fallen twice. Anyway, um, so <laughs> not being able to catch yourself off of a curb or off a step that is lack of eccentric strength. So having that kind of strength, especially in the lower body, but not only in the lower body, is very important because, well, we go up and down stairs, and if you want to be able to live independently as you age, you want to be able to go up and down stairs, and you want to be able to step off curbs without being concerned about potentially falling and breaking a hip, which increases your likelihood of dying after the age of 65 very significantly. Did you catch all that? Go back and rewind it if you didn't. Uh, so what can you do to improve eccentric strength? Well, uh, one way to do that is through unilateral lower body exercises. Unilateral can be, uh, unilateral means one-sided, Bilateral is two-sided, so most people do bilateral squats or two-legged squats. So that's back squat or front squat or goblet squat or leg press or hack squat. Like Those are all bilateral movements because you use both legs. A unilateral movement is one exercise you use one leg. So like a split squat where you're in a split position and you're going down, touching your back knee to the ground, and then coming back up, that's a unilateral lower body movement. So in... Any unilateral movement, which split squat or a lunge or a step up would be fantastic. Uh, focusing on the eccentric part of the movement would, would greatly improve this ability. So in a split squat, starting at the top and lowering down, that's the eccentric part of the movement. In a step up, it's actually starting on top of the box and then lowering slowly off of the box, which is very challenging. Most people focus on just stepping up onto the box but the real magic of the step up is lowering off the box slowly. So focusing on the eccentric portion of unilateral lower body exercises would help improve that. On the other part of this is static, uh, static strength. And, and this part we're talking about mostly upper body. So when it comes to static strength, you want to be able to grip and hold things, hold yourself up from things. Like if you fall, you want to be able to catch yourself with your hands um, whenever you're moving things, like a lot of movements are started with your hands. So you pick something up, you're, I go pick my backpack up and put it on. I go pick up my plate and go grab some food. I pick up my pencil. I know I'm giving very terrible examples because those are all light things mostly. Um, I need to carry my groceries. And if you're anything like me, you need to carry all of them at once. And I need to bring them inside. So like you carry a lot of stuff. That is but you carry them by your side and you keep them still. That's static strength to an extent because you're just holding it there. So one way you can improve static strength is by incorporating lots of carries into your program. Carries can be done with any kind of apparatus, but 
kettlebells and barbells are great ways to do that. You can do carries with weights down by your side. You can do carries with weights up overhead. You can do carries with weights uh, kind of in rack, what we call rack position at your clavicle. You can carry uh, all different kinds of things. You can carry rocks. You can carry sandbags. You can carry anything, like whatever you got, you can carry. And you're just holding it in a position and then walking around with it for some amount of time, usually at least two minutes to get significant benefit. Okay? Uh, so incorporating carries is great. Um, what you'll also find is carries can help, help improve a lot of these other things that we are going to talk about as well. Aerobic capacity, stability, eh, not, not, not mobility quite as much, not really power quite as much depending on what you're doing with it. Um, but aerobic capacity and stability carries will also improve. The longer you carry something, the more aerobic capacity you're building. The longer that you can hold something, the more stable you're able to stay. If you can carry, bear hug a sandbag, keep it down back there, all that noise. Um, if you can bear hug a sandbag and keep yourself upright, you can keep yourself stable and upright. Um, the longer you can do that, the more stable you are. So carries do a lot of great things for you. Also, uh, grip strength is very, 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 very highly coordinated with health span and longevity. Very, very. Actually, I believe, I believe more so than like cardiovascular capacity and, and other things. Like grip strength is very important. Now, that doesn't mean that like sitting there and squeezing a stress ball is going to make you be able to live longer. Grip strength usually then is correlated with overall body strength. That means that you're usually doing things to build a strong body if your grip strength is strong. And carries are just a great way to not only build grip strength, but just build overall body strength. Okay? Um, so that's strength. That's why strength is important. That's a couple basic ways that you can focus on strength. The eccentric part of lower body exercises usually focusing on unilateral lower body exercises, and then the static part of um, exercises, primarily using carries as a way to um, improve your strength. So that, my friends, is strength. Let's go ahead and move on to power, shall we? Let's talk about power. So with power, if you, use, if you lose strength, at two to three times the rate at which you lose muscle mass, you lose power at two to three times the rate at which you lose strength. Did you catch that sequence? So you're losing power at a very rapid rate. Now you may not yet be able to correlate why power is important, but you will in a second. So power is to be able that the ability to be able to stand out of a chair on your own, basically. Because generally when you stand out of a chair, usually, you stand somewhat quickly. The difference between strength and power is that power had a, has a speed component to it. Strength is just being able to move a weight over some amount of time. Power is the ability to be able to move a weight at speed, quickly. So when we stand up, if you notice someone who is not in good health beyond the age of about 70, when they stand up out of a chair, they take a long time to do it. Very slowly, still kind of hunched over, very slowly standing up and straightening out at the top. 
So when they do that, or when you see that, that is a loss of power. Because when you stand from the chair quickly, you're powering out of the chair is what you're doing. So we want to be able to maintain our power because not only being able to get out of a chair, oops, sorry, um, I got another microphone behind me and I'm bumping into it, but um, you not only want to be able to get out of a chair quickly, there are lots of other things that use power that you want to be able to do. So power primarily is an eccentric movement um, emphasis. We talked about, I'm sorry, that's a lie. Scratch that. Power is primarily a concentric uh, movement emphasis, meaning when you're talking about developing power, you're talking about building concentric power or shortening muscles very quickly. So when you sit down and you stand up quickly, your quad muscles are shortening quickly. That's eccentric. That's the eccentric portion of the movement. Concentric. I don't know why I keep doing that. That's the concentric portion of the movement. Okay. Let me try that again. Power is about the concentric portion of the movement. Concentric. The muscles shortening. I'm saying it, but for some reason I'm saying the wrong word. It is the concentric portion of the movement. Got that? So we, wanna, we want to develop power, and we want to continue to train power. A couple of basic ways that you can do that is by either squat jumps or box jumps. Those are very basic exercises that anybody can do, that everybody can do. And if you do them correctly, you're not only training power, but you're training static strength as well. So if, if you do a box jump, if you can visualize having a box in front of you, it can be six inches, three inches, 12 inches, whatever. Standing in front of the box and then jumping onto the box the jump part is developing power. The land part then is developing eccentric, I'm sorry, uh, is developing strength, is developing eccentric and static strength to a degree. Whenever you catch yourself on the top of the box without letting your butt sink down, that's developing the strength to be able to catch yourself whenever you step off of a curb and you accidentally, you know, you don't realize that it's there. So doing things like box jumps and squat jumps will develop not only power, but develop different kinds of strength as well. If you catch yourself correctly, a squat jump is just standing, squatting down to squat position, jumping up as high as you can, and then catching yourself at the bottom. So doing just basic exercises like that can be very helpful. Um, also anything, throwing a medicine ball, throwing a medicine ball side to side off of a wall onto the ground, chest passing it forward, throwing it overhead, Throw, it doesn't have to be a medicine ball. You can throw rocks. You can throw anything. Whatever you want to throw, like throwing things is very, very helpful in producing and developing power. Like we're not training to be, of course, football players or basketball players or baseball players or anything like that. We are training for life is what we're training for. So it's worth remembering that even in life, we still need power from time to time. One of the basic ways is just getting out of a chair. So... Incorporating some sort of jump, be that box jumps, be that squat jumps, is going to be very impactful on your power. Which then leads us to aerobic capacity. we got a couple more to go through. Uh, aerobic capacity is our third dimension of fitness. So there's two areas of aerobic capacity that we want to talk about. We want to talk about 
so-called zone two training and so-called zone five training. Okay, that's what popular literature would call them and that's how we'll, we'll refer to them. Uh, zone two training or this zone refers to the level of heart rate, if you will. And most heart rate zones are one through five. Some of them will go up to seven. But so we're talking about zone two training and zone five training. Zone two training is moderate intensity, steady state training, basically. It's not low intensity, like a walk, like a stroll, if you will. But it's not high intensity, like an intense run, like running up hills or running up stairs or something like that. It can be like a slow run for some people, but it could also be a fast walk for some people. So for zone two type of training, your intensity should not exceed the point to the extent that you can have a conversation. If you get to the point where you can't talk to somebody, then you're going past zone two, if you will. You're going to another level of heart rate that is not training this specific area. So zone two training is important for a number of different reasons. Our ancestors trained zone two by running, um, by hunting prey. Like they had to trek for long periods of time, usually from one place to another, whenever they ran out of food, they'd have to pick things up, put them on their back or carry them from one place to another. And they usually had to walk for days, days at a time. And so that is still ingrained in us that we need that in order to sustain our cardiovascular health. So training this low to moderate intensity level is important to do. And it's important to do regularly, usually at least three times a week, usually at least 45 minutes at a time. Like I said, that can be a long walk as long as it's of good enough intensity not a stroll, but not super high intense to where you can't speak. Um, it could be a hike. Uh, it could be a bike of good enough intensity. But doing this three times a week, at least 45 minutes at a time, is going to help significantly improve your cardiovascular uh, capabilities. On the other end of that, then, is zone five. If zone two is hunting for prey and having to move from one village to another or from one area to another over long periods of time for our ancestors, zone five is running from a lion. It is running for your life. It is needing to get up and get going very quickly. Otherwise, you ain't going to make it. Now, we don't have to deal with that anymore, but we still should be able to get up and get going. And we generally want to be able to get up and get going at a very intense pace for at least about 60 seconds. I think usually two minutes is maybe the marker for many like VO2 max tests. VO2 max is your um, maximal ability, maximal volume of oxygen that you can process, if you will. But doing exercise at least, again, probably two to three times a week, that is at least 60 to 120 seconds long at maximal output, like as hard as you can go for that amount of time, 
basically trains the other range of your aerobic capabilities. So we have the zone two range where it's low and steady and long duration. And then we have this higher range where it's very high capacity, very intense, very go get it. And that is those two ranges are both very important for us to train um, because our heart has the capability to do it. And when you don't train it, then you're not, you're not enhancing your heart's capacity. So implement both of them. Start steady if you need to. Start with one or the other if you need to. With the zone five, if you just start with one day a week where you're doing one intense bout of exercise that is 60 to 120 seconds long, then that's going to significantly benefit you. Just one day a week even. All right, that is aerobic capacity. We have stability and mobility left. Next, stability. Uh, so stability is your ability to efficiently and safely produce force or put force into something. So one way most people think about stability is like through a plank. If you think of a plank, if you know what a plank is, it's just being down on the ground on your elbows and on your toes with nothing else touching. That is one way, one form of stability. It is being able to stay in that position, nice and straight, without sagging yourself down to the ground, sagging your hips down to, your, to the ground, or sticking your butt up in the air, but maintaining a straight position. It's doing it efficiently and safely, which is important. But you also do this in many other ways. So if you fall down and you go to catch yourself and you put your hand down on the ground and your shoulder is not strong enough to stabilize you, your shoulder may twist or turn or buckle in a certain way that you tear your rotator cuff or injure your rotator cuff. Whereas if your shoulder is stable and it's strong and the stabilizer muscles around it are very strong and you go to fall down and you land on it, it may hurt, it may be uncomfortable, but you may not produce an injury or your likelihood of injury is significantly decreased. So stability is a very broad word in a couple of senses, but it's very important, especially for joints. So like shoulder joint, your spine, having a stable spine is very important. Um, knees and neck, like joints are very important to have stable. The spine is the main one that I want to focus on because most people use core work or ab work to increase their abness <laughs> to get a six pack for lack of a better way to put it. But ab work is not to get a six pack. Ab work is to increase stability of the spine. Like that's what ab work is really for. Most stability of the spine requires usually static movement, and that's not really movement, but usually static type of exercise for periods of time. So going back to planks, a plank is just a static movement. It is holding yourself still, whether you're in regular plank position or side plank position, for a period of time. That is increasing stability of the spine. A carry is the same thing. We already talked about this. 
holding a weight down by your side, for instance, you have to keep yourself from moving or tilting to that side, which is making your oblique muscles, which are your side ab muscles, stabilize, which is increasing stability of the spine. Whenever you're increasing stability of the core, quote unquote, what you're really doing is increasing stability of the spine, of the spinal cord, of the middle part of you. And the more you can improve stability of the middle part of you, the more highly functioning human being you honestly become because then your upper body is connected to your lower body. If you have no stability at the middle part of you, your core, if you will, which is more than just your abdomen, by the way, if you have no stability there, then when you do, when you push things, for instance, you have to literally push them with your arms because your core is not stabilizing you and your, your lower body is not able to help. So the connection, the stability of your spine primarily, but of your core is extremely important. So things like planks and carries can be very, very, very effective at improving that. Carries not only improve the stability of your core, they improve the stability of your shoulders and your hips as well. So that's why they are so important and so uh, such a powerful movement group because they improve so many aspects of the body. So implement those freaking carries. Cannot overstate that. All right, the last dimension of fitness that we'll talk about is mobility. Uh, mobility is simply the range of motion of a joint. Sedentary living decreases our range of motion of our shoulders and our hips, primarily our thoracic spine, which is the center part of our spine, our necks, our ankles, all these important areas. The musculoskeletal issues that we have as we age are primarily because of our sedentary living. It is primarily because the average person sits 10 hours a day. And because we do that, if you don't use it, you lose it. Meaning, if you don't use a range of motion, you will lose the range of motion. Um, and also, if you ever told your kids, or if you're young, too young to have kids or don't have kids, if you've ever heard you, your parents say, hey, if you keep making that face, it's going to get stuck in that position. I was told that a lot, by the way. I'm still kind of told that a lot. Uh, the same thing goes for your body. But we actually sit in that position for a long period of time. So if you look at an old person walking around, hunched over, and you visualize a chair on their, like underneath of them while they're walking, they're basically in a seated position walking. If you can visualize that. So that is basically that like that is lack of mobility that is losing mobility is what you're doing when you're sitting for long periods of time your hip flexors are shortening as i'm sitting here um your hip flexors are shortening if you slouch forward a lot your chest muscles are shortening your back muscles are lengthening like that's actually happening and as that's happening you are becoming that form you are lit literally I don't actually say literally, literally, by the way. Um, I think I said that earlier in this episode. That's not important. Um, you're literally becoming the form. You're literally becoming the form of the seat. So what can you do? Uh, get up and move often. 
at least every 25 minutes, just get up and move. Do something. Just reaching up and stretching yourself out, straightening yourself out, reaching up to the sky, trying to push those, push your palms up to the ceiling, straighten your, your legs and your knees as much as you can every 25 or 30 minutes. That alone will go a long way in helping you. If you want to go the extra mile, go walk a mile every 25 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but just get up and do something. Walk some steps, do, do an exercise, do something. Do some stretching, do some, do some sort of mobility work or stretching work or stability work, like do a plank every 25 minutes, do a carry every 25 minutes, um, 30 minutes. Or if you're the type of person who does, like one of my good friends, he's a coder, and he's like, Jerry, once a, a coder would tell you like, some codes take hours to do. And if you lose your concentration, then it takes a long time to get it back. So I'm going to sit there until it's done. Okay, well, then do it in between every block of code or do it in, in between every block of whatever it is that you do. If it takes you an hour, fine. It's better for you to get up every hour than every five hours. So break it up into whatever chunks make sense. If you can, 25 to 30 minutes is great. If you can't, make it an hour. And then just choose something to do and then just do it. Okay? It is... I don't want to say like, that's going to be, that's going to, it will save your life. I, I would, I would make that argument, but that's going to be hugely significant to you. Um, and that's that, that is, that's our five dimensions of fitness that we can focus on moving forward. That's our five dimensions that will help us get to that centenarian decathlon that we talked about in the beginning, strength, power, aerobic capacity, stability, and mobility, those are the things that we need. And we need to focus on, yes, all of them to some degree or another. Maybe you like yoga a little more than other things, so just do more of that. That's okay, but make sure that you're also incorporating other parts. Maybe you like, like me, you love strength training, and that's what you do. But you also need to do other things. Do, you got to do aerobic stuff. You got to do mobility stuff. You got to do stability stuff. So you may enjoy certain aspects more than others, and that's fine, and you can do more of that, but you need the other stuff as well if you want to get to that decathlon um, and at the end of the, you know, at 90 or 100 or whatever you want, you, you, whatever age you're setting that at. So get to it, people. Get to it. And that's all I have to say about that. So... Make sure that you're sharing with your friends so that they can also be 100 years old and be there with you. And you can compete with them and you can go, ha ha, I can lift these plates over my head better than you can. Because that just sounds like fun, I guess. Uh, so share with your friends. Make sure that you're hitting that subscribe button. And until next time, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.